Well, I, uh, I viewed my options, like you said, uh, uh, very carefully. And I wanted to be seen on the screen for the first time as, you know, as a good guy. In the, uh, in the role as a football player, in my mind, I was playing the bad guy. And for that, you know, I played it well. A linebacker always plays a bad guy. And um, I wanted to be viewed as, you know, a nice guy at the same time showing a side of myself that, that uh, although many times I tried to profess this is the way I actually am, nobody would ever believe me. But until you actually give them that and show them that, then uh, they, they won't believe it. And that's why this character, John Stone, plays the way he does and he has the, the intelligence and the integrity that he does on the screen. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Not A Bomb Podcast. This is the podcast where we go back and talk about the movies that bombed in the theaters or just didn't get any love from the critics. Brad, happy birthday, buddy. Thank you, man. Thank you. Hey, the pod forgives or God forgives, but the podcast does not. Oh, that's right. Is that our new motto? Yeah, it is. Is that where we're getting tattooed? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sweet. Well, right next to your stars and bars there, my friend. Okay. <laughs> Well, listen, uh, we kicked the new year off with an amazing film, Staying Alive, and we're following that up with another amazing film. This was your pick. You want to introduce this one? Yeah, I do. This is 1991's action film starring football player turned actor Brian the Boz Bosworth. Yes. In Stone Cold. I'm super excited about this. So among our friends, our close friends, we have an actual expert on the film and Brian Bosworth, mega fan. Brad, can you guess who that is? Well, we are stepping awfully close to the gentleman's guide territory. So Mm -hmm. I'm guessing it's Sammy from the GGTMC. Hey, man. Welcome back. (laughs) Hey, thanks. I was supposed to be here last week. And I couldn't make it happen, and I apologize for that. And uh, the show was great. I wish I could have been a part of it. And then you guys said you were doing Stone Cold, and I was like, well, maybe yeah, maybe I'll come on for that one. I mean, I am a big fan of Stone Cold. <laughs> oh, I'm just gonna, yes. I'm just gonna yeah, let let's just get it out of the way. This yeah. movie fucking rocks. Okay, <laughs> this is a, this is an amazing film. Um, yeah. let, so but, let, let me let me can I preface this just a little bit? Yes. So, 14 years ago, 14 and some change now, 14 and a half almost, we started our podcast, and one of the first films I said we had to cover was Stone Cold with Brian Bosworth. And Will, my uh, co-founder of the GGTMC, said, what in the world are we doing? Why are we doing a Brian Bosworth (laughs) film? I said, dude, you have to see Stone Cold. It's not what you think. And uh, he didn't believe me, I don't think. And then he saw it, and... The rest is history. I've been pushing this film on people for almost 20 years. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I know. I saw it in the theater, instantly fell in love with it, tried to get the movie poster. Um, somebody else stole it. Um, but yeah, I've, I don't know why more people, uh, even mainstream or, or those that like 80s, 90s action films, don't talk about this. We'll, we'll get into that in a minute. But 
Um, I'm assuming you saw it in a theater too, Sammy. I did originally, and I would be lying to you if at first I didn't quite understand what I saw. I knew I liked it. I didn't understand why I liked it. <laughs> and time went on a little bit, and uh, I have some theories for that, which I'll share when we start talking about it in more detail. Okay. When when did you discover this one, Brad? Oh, I think it was probably middle school, high school time when okay. you're just getting films at Blockbuster and someone's like, this has Brian Bosworth in it. And you're like the football player. And you're like, yeah, <laughs> like, okay, we're getting this. And of course, like at that point in time, you're going in, you have no idea what it's about. And 15 year old Brad is seeing a lot of things in this movie that he likey. So <laughs> <laughs> he's getting um, that mustache wet. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's start there. Uh, I'm not a big football person. I know you guys uh, watch the football more than I do. <laughs> we do watch the oblong strange ball game. Yeah, I'll be watching hockey, uh, patiently waiting for baseball season. But um, let's well, talk. I mean, I think Brad and I both like sports in general. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I love sports and gambling on sports. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I don't live mind, in Indiana, so it's legal. I don't mind watching football. I just, I'm not as passionate about it. And living in Raven country, so even the first time we move out to the East Coast and it's a Sunday and we go to the grocery store and everybody's in purple, I'm like, what the hell's going on? I'm like, oh, that's right. We live in Baltimore now. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it it is fun to live in a city that does have like a uh, a national franchise, um, and it's really fun to live close to Philadelphia because those Eagles fans are on crack and they, I mean, you, that's some people watching, man. Yeah, and you're not too far away from the Washington Commanders either. So yeah, yeah true. Um, a, lot of, a lot of sports up your way. So mid '80s, even not closely following college football uh, and the NFL, uh, Brian Keith Bosworth, aka the Boz, made a lot of headlines. Mm -hmm. um, he was certainly a celebrity. I did not really understand outside of what I picked up here and there in the mid eighties. And to be totally honest, stone cold was, I had the same reaction to Brad is like, wasn't that, wasn't that the uh, football player? That's like really obnoxious and he's got an action movie. Oh, I got to see this. Cause that's, that's what I knew about him. But this weekend, um, I finally caught the Brian and the boss documentary, the ESPN. Ah, yes. Uh, oh, that's from like 2014, 2015. Yeah. The premise really of it is he's going back to his dad's storage unit and him and his son are going through it. And you, you kind of get, um, Brian Bosworth's history, mm -hmm. um, through his, his college days, NFL, everything. And it was really fascinating. I mean, I thought I knew just, uh, I, I guess the 50,000 foot view of his life, but I really didn't understand like the impact that he had mid eighties, especially on, um, the sports athlete. Um, and I, I don't know if you guys want to talk about your exposure to him. Cause I'm, I'm sure you were paying attention to him as close as you follow sports at that time. Right. Well, for me, he was, I think he played at Oklahoma like 84 to 86. Cause he was a junior. So yeah. And I was one years old at that time. So, oh, so you weren't following was, him at that point. No, it, it wasn't <laughs> until like afterwards, you kind of heard this like myth of Brian Bosworth and a guy who only played two years in the NFL, uh, but in college was an absolute maniac. And like he would, he kind of came after the NCAA and called it like the national communists against athletes uh, group because like they were just, 
you know, up until recently, like players were basically exploited for who they were uh, for the gain of the university only. It, it wasn't until I think last year or the year before NIL came around, which is um, where players can uh, profit off of their likeness and image and all that stuff. Um, but if, you know, if that was around when, when brought, when Brian Bosworth was in college, he would have been a millionaire. Cause in that documentary, you learn that he basically marketed himself um, yes. and learned how to do all that stuff. And he was for like the short period of time that he was an athlete. Uh, he made the most out of it. And like that legend. So kind of lives on today. Um, like that haircut, you know, he, that was all, all on purpose to kind of make him stand out. And, and, you know, we, I think he is relevant to the game today because of, you know, just how impactful he was on, you know, that the image of an athlete and what we think of an athlete and his popularity and stuff. So, you know, even when I came around after he was done 10 years later, it was like, Oh no, Brian Bosworth was a big deal. Okay. What about you, Sammy? I mean, did you follow him closely when, when he was active either with Oklahoma or the um, Seattle? Yeah. So I remember Brian Bosworth. This is the time when, you know, college players are starting to make more of themselves. They're marketing, they're doing the professional wrestling thing. They're, uh, they're running promos. Mm-hmm. They're doing whatever they can to get attention. And, uh, you know, nowadays that's, this is taken for granted because this is goes on all the time. There's a, as we're recording this, there's a national championship game going on right now. And I'm sure people are marketing themselves somehow to get more attention. And it's part of the business, whether you like it or not. And I'm, I'm not a big fan of it, but it, whether you like it or not, that's how you get, you know, your high draft picks, your bigger contracts, your shoe endorsements, your clothes endorsements, your sunglasses endorsements, you name it. Mm-hmm. I think Brian Bosworth may have had uh, some type of endorsement with maybe Ray-Ban or Oakley or something, maybe. Anyway, uh, he was colorful. He was different. Um, he was also hated by just about every middle-aged man when I was a kid because of what he was. Right. Uh, and he was a bust. I mean, he was uh, drafted high. He played for about two years in the pros, only had about four sacks and everything else. Notoriously known for Bo Jackson running over him and to get a touchdown at some point. He tried to t- go one-on-one with Bo Jackson, and he lost. Right. And uh, really just an NFL bust. So he disappeared. He was, injury- he was injury-prone, and that was yeah. mostly his- because he was also a notorious steroid user as yeah. well. So He was that, too. And uh, also, he uh, didn't wear uh, proper shoulder pads of some sort in college, so he did pretty much destroyed his shoulders, which I think he talks about in the documentary, Brian yes. and the Boss, that his shoulders were pretty much shot. Yeah, for his age, I mean, at the time he's a 23-year-old, but, you know, the the doctors are saying we have the shoulders of a 60-year-old. Yeah, you can kind of tell, even looking in the movies, even though he's in good shape and stone cold, you can kind of tell his posture and his shoulders kind of come down really sharp. I mean, he has, like, the smallest shoulder, like, he's not broad-shouldered at all. No, his shoulders were shot pretty, pretty much from the early 20s on. And, uh, but he had a, he had a really great face. He had a memorable look. And I think that was important, and uh, he knew how to market himself. Um, he still does stuff every now and then. He popped up in Adam Sandler's Longest Yard and stuff, and we can talk about some of the other stuff he popped up in a little later. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I remember uh, I remember him vividly, and uh, I was kind of excited when he became a star or when he became a movie star, and they were going to push him as one, and I thought this could be fun because he's got the look. 
and uh, this could work. Um, we'll we'll talk about that further as we okay. go along here. Yeah, just uh, the documentary. You know, for those who are interested in taking the love for Stone Cold maybe a step further, uh, you can if if you have a Disney Plus subscription, it's streaming. That that's where I got it. Yeah, Disney owns ESPN. Yeah, and it was a thirty for thirty. So it it was really great. I mean, he's he's a two time Dick Butkus Award winner from eighty five eighty six, two time unanimous All American eighty five eighty six, um, is a national champion from eighty five when he was playing for the Oklahoma Sooners, and his position's linebacker. Okay, just for for those who don't know him, and you guys have already said this. Most importantly, I think people credit him as one of the early modern day athletes who were really good at self-marketing and understanding the importance of it. But as a result of that, he was also a very controversial athlete. So you guys have touched on this. He went through a steroid scandal while at Oklahoma, apparently to speed up his recovery for his injuries in college, he was taking steroids. Finally, you know, the NCAA came after him and said, can't do that. They suspend him. And then there's this whole narrative that it becomes the boss versus the NCAA. And Brad, you talked about this. He he goes to a game and wears a T-shirt that says national communists, communists against athletes welcome to Russia. Yeah. And so as a result of these antics, um, OU dismisses him. So he only plays a couple of years, you know, of college ball. He had a high profile NFL draft event, um, which was outside of the normal um, NFL draft. So he kind of did it off cycle. And eventually landed with the Seattle Seahawks, which was a bit controversial because, you know, he wanted to be in L.A., I think. Uh, there's a couple of incidents where he trash talked um, John Elway of the Denver Broncos. <laughs> and I love this story. So he knew exactly what he was doing. If you talk about self-marketing again, you cannot. Um, I, I just appreciate everything that he was doing for his career. Are you talking about the T-shirts? Yeah. So the Denver Broncos fans were just pissed at all of his um, antics leading up to the game and ended up buying all these, you know, anti Brian Bosworth, you know, t-shirts, not knowing that the t-shirts are actually manufactured by Brian Bosworth's company. So he, he knew exactly what he was doing. He made a killing off of that. And then you talked about this, Sam, uh, he, again, trash talk, Bo Jackson, that didn't go well for him. And, and, and Bo just ran right over him. Yeah. Um, he released an audio autobiography at age 23 titled The Boz Confessions of a Modern Antihero. The book was released in 1988, and it spent 10 weeks um, in the New York Times bestseller, and he made a killing off that as well. Yep. Now, that book was controversial because of all of the stuff that he alleged. Uh, he basically said, okay, his time with Oklahoma, there's all this stuff going on behind the scenes, and as a result of that book, the NCAA went to investigate um, OU. So, uh, he, wherever he went, he's, he's a little bit of a tornado <laughs> and caused a little bit of chaos, but nonetheless, when you're talking about some of the biggest celebrities within, I, I don't know, the sports industry of the eighties, you, you, when you have that conversation, you're going to be talking about the boss because he's, he's one of the first ones that really kind of took it up to a new level. Right. Right. The modern athlete. The modern athlete. That's right. So well, there's big a there's big a star as they are a player. Exactly. And hey, make no mistake, as a linebacker, this guy uh, was amazing. Um, all yeah, of the acclimation. He was yeah. Yeah, in college he was unstoppable, and so uh, that was a big deal for Oklahoma. And um, he really 
you know, help turn that program around mm-hmm. in such a, a short period of time. But um, he, he rode that wave right out the door too. <laughs> so uh, it, it's interesting. But after his football career, wanting to kind of maintain that high because he has a best-selling book, he says, hey, I'm going to go be a movie star. And we get his first film, 1991's Stone Cold. Now, this is going to be interesting. So, Brad, take us back and talk about the release of this movie because I think 1991 had some – uh, it, it, it was a good year. Let's just say it was yeah. a good year. Yeah. So released May 17th, 1991 with a reported budget of $25 million. Um, and you'll probably get into this um, during the production and development part, but 4 million of that was uh, used and you don't see any of that on the screen. Right. So 21 uh, million is what you kind of see, which for one of the, some of the stuff that they do in this movie is kind of, uh, unbelievable. It's impressive. Um, yeah. So box office take, it makes $9.15 million uh, for you math people. That's way less than 25. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's opening weekend. It makes $2.8 million. That's good enough for fifth place that comes behind films. Like what about Bob FX two Madonna truth or dare hmm. and switch. Ooh. Okay. Um, Rotten Tomatoes um, has this film at a 33%. That's only with nine critical reviews. So three people, three critics like this, six don't. And the audience is sitting at a 64%. Um, that's with over 2,500 reviews. And our favorite Christian website does have a short little review on this film. But <laughs> oh, can we guess? Wow. Can we guess where they put Stone Cold on their four to negative four scale? Oh, uh, I got to go negative three, man. There's a lot of pagan worldview here. There is a lot of pagan worldview. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to say, though, uh, I, I, ooh, I'm going to go negative two. I got to say something different. It is a negative four. Are you serious? Wow. Language, heavy, violence, heavy, sex, heavy, Boobie, nudity, heavy. light. But that's not true. there's a lot of nudity in this film so content negative four intentional blasphemy evil gross mortality and or worldview problems now they they kind of don't break it down like they mostly do but here's my favorite blurb stone cold with its excess violence including some up close brutal killings full-length nudity and foul language was originally rated nc-17 and cut to an r considering all the sex and violence the the question arises, did it really, did they really cut it? Question mark. So, but it's, that is, it's good sex and violence. It's, it's for the betterment of mankind. Sh- okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. You could argue all sex and violence is for the, well, whatever. Um, <laughs> films released May of uh, 1991. You could have seen one good cop, a rage in Harlem. Um, I already said FX2. Madonna, Truth or Dare, Switch, uh, Mannequin on the Move. Ooh. What about Bob? Backdraft. Guys, guess how much money Backdraft made. Backdraft was a huge hit because I remember working in the movie theaters um, when this came out in Backdraft. And I, If I said $152 million, would you believe me? Absolutely. That thing was selling out all the That's time. That's insane. Uh, Thelma and Louise, yeah. Only the Lonely. 
um, and uh, Soap Dish for or all films you could have seen May of 1991. Yep. That's crazy. Well, let, let's talk about the people who made the film. Uh, it's really interesting when you go behind the camera and start with director Craig R. Baxley. Now, this guy's going to show up. Um, he's coming up again. He's coming up again very soon because when you talk about his career, so a little bit of backstory, and, and Sammy, I, I know you know everything about Craig R. Baxley. So his career goes back to the 70s as a mm-hmm. stuntman. Yep. Um, he was a second unit director on films like The Warriors, The Long Riders, Reds, and Predator. So worked closely with Walter Hill. Yeah. When you look at his actual directorial efforts, he's done you know television like A Team. He did about nine episodes, but there is a three film run that oh, he yeah. does that's pretty damn fantastic. It starts yeah. with one of my favorite films from the eighties, starring Mr. Carl Weathers, Action Jackson in nineteen eighty eight. Right. Follows that up with another fantastic film called Dark Angel. In the U.S., it was titled I Come in Peace. That was 1990, starring Dolph Lundgren. And then we get Stone Cold in 1991. And now, after that, he does a bunch of TV movies, um, television shows, film here or there. And the quality of movies he's he's tackling at this point, just to give you an example, he, he did like Left Behind 3, World at yeah. War 2005. I'm, I'm sure the Christian website gave that one a plus four. Show Sniper. me a better three film run. Yeah. Ever. Sniper 2. He did Sniper yeah. 2 as well. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he, if you look at him and his work in Hollywood, it's pretty impressive the movies that he was attached to. Uh, I don't know what you think of him as a director, Sammy. I, I, when you see those three movies coming out, you kind of think, is this, is this, um, I don't know. Is this, is this like one of the best action directors that was going to come out of, I, I don't know, Walter Hill tutelage, or I don't know if you would frame yeah. it that way. I, I think so. I think he could have been the next Walter Hill. Actually, he could have been that. Uh, yeah. I really do believe that he comes out of uh, directing episodes of the A team jumps into action. Jackson, I come in peace and the stone cold. And it is a, a, a whiz bang to use a incredibly white term. <laughs> um, three film run. And yeah. you think to yourself, this guy's got it. I mean, he's got all the, he knows how to shoot action. Uh, he, he really understands the B movie format. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, name me three modern B movies that are better than those three. You're, you're I mean, you're going to have a tough time. I, I think so. Absolutely. Especially at that era. And these, this was a golden era of written videos, right? And, and all that stuff. And, and these movies, I mean, we were, we were, I didn't see I Come in Peace in the theater. I saw that on video, but I did see Action Jackson several times at the drive in and Stone Cold I saw in the theater. But Baxley's name would come up and I'd be like, oh man, this Baxley guy is going to be something. And then I guess of the failure of, I mean, he's still working, but I guess the failure of, well, he was still working. I don't think he's working anymore. Is he even still alive anymore? Yeah, he looks like he is. Yeah, um, I, I think he just kind of dropped off or was just taking uh, just TV movie product more or less. Yeah. He, I mean, I just thought maybe he was going to be the next great action director and um, it just didn't turn out that way. You know, his stunt work too. We, you know, you didn't really touch on that, I don't think, but I mean, you're talking about some great films in there as well. Yeah. Predator. Didn't he do stunts for Predator? Yeah. That was the last one he did the stunts yeah. for. But I mean, you know, Heaven Can Wait, uh, did the Charlie's Angels, did the Warriors, did. Uh, Long Riders, mm-hmm. Bean, Honky Tonk Freeway, which is a big film I like. Uh, <laughs> episodes of Hunter, Dukes of Hazard, you know all that stuff. He was pivotal to uh, Eddie Macon's run. That's one I need to rewatch right there. 
Um, he was pivotal six pack. He was a stunt coordinator on six pack. Kenny Rogers six pack. Kenny Rogers six pack. Oh, that's a classic. <laughs> that is. Uh, anyway, he should have been a much bigger director than he became. But thankfully, we have this three film run, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, I think in certain circles, those three films are held to some of the highest B movie regard. They're on the B movie Mount Rushmore for me. Yeah. I don't love Action Jackson as much as Troy does, but I think I love I Come in Peace way more. So, yeah, I would it it would be hard for me to to I I would I don't even want to try and rank them because I love all three so much. Yeah. Uh, I I'm always surprised how big of a hit Action Jackson was. I mean that that did really really well to the to the point that I really thought we were going to get a, a trilogy or a sequel, you know, from Carl Weathers on on those films but yeah those three movies they're so much fun they're so rewatchable and i think they outshine a lot of the modern action films you even see today yeah they well they certainly had their stamp on things at that time as far as american action films go yes Um, nobody was making action films like craig baxley and in my opinion nobody was making them as good as him maybe james cameron obviously yeah guys like that but Man, Baxley was on fire. And, and one of the things that Baxley does is he cuts out all the fat in all of his yes. movies. There That's is what I love not about an, There's not like, there are scenes where like plot devices, like two or three plot devices are explained in, in all that, like in a scene. And then you just move on. Like he is not, he's very economical with his storytelling and he will um, pack in a lot of stuff in um, a short period of time. I think. Originally, I had seen that Stone Cold was like 83 minutes, but I watched the Blu-ray I have is 95 minutes. So Mm. I don't know if what we got has some stuff added back in, but I can't imagine this movie at 83 minutes because there is like 30 seconds where they're just like, boom, boom, boom. In in the theater, I do not recall the amount of nudity. Mm. So they may have cut a lot of nudity out in the theater, if I recall. But maybe it was there. I can't remember. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah, it, it has been a little while. So let's talk about some other people. Now, this is the other one that really surprises me because when you look at, when you see Stone Cold and you think about, wow, that's that's a really good modern 90s action film. The director makes sense to me, especially when you see that they made Action Jackson and uh, Dark Angel. But then when you go to the screenwriter, the screenwriter is, I just did not expect this person. And we're talking about Walter Doniger. So he's a writer and director, but this guy goes all the way back to the early 40s as a screenwriter for movies like Mob Town. Um, he worked on TV shows like Perry Mason, um, did TV movies, uh, Kentucky Woman, Rick. I didn't know if you ever saw that from 1983. <laughs> I have seen that. Okay. Uh, I mean, he directed a lot of TV and he did. Uh, films. Yeah, Kung Fu, he did Kung Fu episodes and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But he was all over the place going all the way back to the forties. And then, you know, they bring him in to do really this project starring the boss. And I just didn't expect this type of screen writer to come to this type of project, especially when you look at his resume, mm-hmm. um, from an experience, exploitation standpoint, maybe it kind of makes sense given some of the stuff he's worked on. Uh, but I feel like he kind of comes out of nowhere to, to pen this one. Um, yeah. would you, would you consider that? I guess this falls in the biker exploitation genre. Um, that's what I've heard 
biker yeah. exploitation. I, I think you I can don't make know a if I love that. that too much, but you know, I get it. Yeah, I mean it, it's there. I mean it, it's a heavy part of the movie. Yeah. But I don't think I I think this kind of it it kind of shines outside of that. Well, also, you just can't put a word of exploitation after it and make it a thing. Like I <laughs> don't think oh, that yeah. creates a genre, but is this lizard exploitation? Yeah. yeah. You ever, ever watch Kentucky Woman exploitation? <laughs> no, I haven't watched that. Yeah. Monkey exploitation? Oh, I've seen that. Yeah. Funky funky monkey, yeah. Yeah. Uh cinematographer Alexander Grzynski. He has a little bit of an interesting resume. Now, around this time period, he's doing some stuff that I think we've all seen. Bad Dreams in 1988, mm-hmm. Tremors in 1990, does mm-hmm. Stone Cold. In the same year, uh, man, I, I wish they get this, uh, like Shout Factory would do a special edition of this one. But there's a Fred Ward film that was an HBO movie called Cast a Deadly Spell from oh, yeah. 1991 <laughs> that came out the same year. So he, yeah. he uh, shot that one. Now, we've talked about Alexander before on the show because he also was the cinematographer for one of the, just one of my favorite comedies we've talked about. And that Hamlet was Hamlet two, none other than Hamlet okay. two from 2008. Right. Yeah, there you go. Um, and then the other one that we just got to talk about real quick. Um, Paul Baxley, he is the stunt coordinator. Mm-hmm. Now Paul has worked on some films. I mean, some heavy hitters, Harper, uh, 1966, the Paul Newman film, Mr. Majestic, um, from 1973, the late show from 1977, which yeah. I discovered as a result of the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema. Oh yeah. Great movie. So, yeah. And it was a great review too. Um, Pee-wee's big adventure. I mean, it, it was all right. <laughs> no, it's, it's really <laughs> good, man. Uh, Pee-wee's big adventure in 85. And then of course he worked on action Jackson, dark angel. Um, he also did class in 1999, and then, well, 1990 is crazy. He did Dark Angel, Class of 1999, Exorcist 3, and then follows that up the next year with Stone Cold. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more in detail about Paul Baxley. Let's jump in front of the camera. We'll start with Brian Bosworth as Joe Huff slash John Stone. I was kind of surprised. He had 31 acting credits to his name on IMDb, Stone Cold being his first one. Mm-hmm. And then he follows this up with the TV film Midnight Heat, and then another movie that went direct-to-video, One Man's Justice, which I actually have seen and I own. It, it's actually pretty good. I kind of like yeah, it. Yeah, it's it's not bad. Is that the one that's also known as One Tough Bastard? Yes, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah he's, he is like dubbed One Tough Bastard. Yeah, that's Kurt Vimmer, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 which I know some people don't like mm-hmm. Kurt Vimmer. Uh, I know, Brad, you mm-hmm. don't love Kurt Vimmer. I, 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 Kurt Vimmer had a moment. He had a moment. Yeah, he did. Equilibrium. Yeah, he had a moment. Yeah, and uh, did, but but he didn't he do uh, what, what was that film that he did that Brad hates so much? Ultraviolet. Ultraviolet. Yeah, which yeah, I'm yeah. sure we'll talk about at some point. Which Just, I didn't see, so I can't comment on. But I've heard enough to know that I won't watch it unless I'm made to watch it. <laughs> is that the MC Hammer movie? What is it? Yeah, MC one, Hammer in One Tough Bastard or whatever it's called? Yeah, oh. I'm pretty sure he's one like man's a justice background, background character. Yeah. yeah. So they so they did the thing with him that they were doing in the '90s. They started putting uh, rap stars, other athletes, people like that, in with these guys. And again, we we talked about Bosworth a little bit. They really did try to push him. They yeah they stuck him with um oh, I can't remember who it was. Uh, he did a he did a buddy cop film or a buddy film uh, back in business with Joe Torrey, who was uh, coming off a little bit of like Poetic Justice and some John Singleton films. He's a comedian. Um, 
he's in Three Kings, but I don't remember him in Three Kings. He's so later in his acting career, he's he's gotten a lot more bit parts and just kind of mm-hmm. shows up here and there. Yeah, a lot uh, of times he's on Dr Pepper commercials now. Yeah. And, yeah. and you 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 uh, mentioned Adam Sandler's uh, film. I mean, he he shows up as a yeah. as a part there, but his yeah. his heyday as an actor was Short the shirts. early yeah it was an <laughs> early '90s kind of thing when they were really trying to promote him as an action star. And you know the the interesting thing about that one man's justice because Bosworth did practice and study karate behind the scenes, and he gets to show off some of his moves within that film, and and it's pretty competent. Um, yeah. believe it or not, it's not one of those you know, cheapy, I, I mean, it is kind of cheap in quality and production, but he's pretty good in it. And, um, I would have liked to have seen more movies like that where he kind of flexes his, uh, his hand in combat style. He did three films, the revelation road films. I'd like to see those. He plays a character named hog. <laughs> and I'd like to see those films. Uh, and I just never have gotten around to them. Uh, I, I need to check them out. They're like post-apocalyptic biker films. So yeah. they tried to capitalize on the biker thing. You know, Brian Bosworth is interesting because I think without the injuries and everything else, he would have went movie star to professional wrestler or professional wrestler to movie star, like so many guys do. do. And uh, we see him nowadays Um, because he definitely, even in the action scenes in this, you can sense the John Cena-ness or the Rock uh, Dwayne Johnson, all that stuff. You can just kind of sense it. You know what I mean? Yeah, he has presence, man. You cannot deny that he he had. I mean, he just he looks good on the screen now acting's different but he he has presence yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna say a sentence and you guys tell me if i'm crazy i would put brian bosworth above steven seagal uh well yeah okay yeah (laughs) yeah yeah as far as acting goes yes uh seagal just has i mean he's never improved he's (laughs) yeah he's just got presence and I love Steven Seagal's like first three or four films. Yeah. Um, well, this the year that this came out, Seagal had Out for Justice. Yeah. So was it out for, okay. out for Justice? Okay. Yeah. So we'll we'll talk about that in a second when we talk about somebody else in front of the camera. But I the thing with Seagal, you go back and watch Above the Law or watch Out for Justice. Um, or Hard to Kill. Hard to Kill. I mean, you're you're right. Those those first three or four, they're really good. Under Siege is a great film. Yeah. Mark for Death's good too. So he's got like five that are really solid and they really tried, but yeah, I, I just, I think where Steven Seagal ended up or where he went in his career, I don't know if, I mean, this is all speculation, but I think Brian Bosworth would have done better. I, I like your analogy with the John Cena or the rock. I don't know if he would have hit the heights no. that those guys, you know, would go, but I just think he would have, um, he would have fared better than Seagal did. Yeah, well, he has charisma. I mean, again, yeah. like you said, I know his acting isn't great, but he's got charisma. He's got presence. I think he could have easily. I don't know if Dwayne Johnson's a totally different animal. He's right. he's a guy who's trying to be the biggest star in the world and really pushing that. And for whether you like it or not, he's been successful mm-hmm. most of the time. He does have some some. Well, I think most of his movies make money, but there, man, there's some stinkers in there. Oh, he's got some duds. He really does. Yeah. I mean, when he misses, he misses hard. Yep. But um, Cena's interesting. I know he hasn't always picked the right things, but these guys all follow this method, though. It's so interesting to me. They all they'll try to do comedies. They'll try to do a family movie, and they kind of they kind of follow this this. They try to try to they just swing for as many balls as they can, no pun intended, and uh, and see what hits and what lands, like throwing spaghetti at the wall. Yeah. Until they find that marketable thing. 
Uh, I think with the hopes that they'll find something like Dwayne Johnson or like Sylvester Stallone did or like Schwarzenegger did, or even like Vin Diesel has, which we don't give him enough credit because he's found that one franchise that, you know, it doesn't matter what Vin Diesel does. He's a huge worldwide star. No, that's true. Um, the next two names are just not new to this show. Definitely not new to the gentleman's guide to Midnight Cinema. So let's start with, <laughs> with Lance Hendrickson as Chains Cooper. <sighs> Man, if there, if there's, he is off the chain in this movie. Yeah, Sorry, if, that's terrible, but he is. There's going to be two reasons. If you haven't seen Stone Cold, there's two reasons. The first one is Lance Hendrickson. The next one is William Forsythe. But let's start with Lance. I, this blows my mind. 263 acting credits, according to IMDb. I mean, this guy's all over the place. Now, around this time period, he's doing some classics like House 3 Horror Show. Um, a movie that I, I think bombed. We We will talk about it if it did. It's probably one of my favorite movies he's done. It's one of my favorite Walter Hill films, and it's Johnny Hansen from 1989. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. That's an Love movie. that film. Um, and then he does Stone Cold, Alien 3, and then also in 93. If I remember correctly, doesn't Johnny Hansen kind of have like a crazy good cast? It has an amazing cast. It's got Morgan yeah. Freeman. Freeman. Lance Hendrickson, Mickey, uh, Mickey Rourke, Ellen Mickey Barkin. Rourke. Ellen Barkin, yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's amazing. We we need to cover that one. Yeah, Force Whitaker, I think, is also yep. in that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and then I know we've talked about it on this show, but you guys reviewed it too. Like probably one of my favorite Lance Hendrickson Hendrickson films from 1993, Hard Target, which for me is yeah. the best JCVD yeah. film, and he's one of the reasons why it's the best Jean Claude film. But um, I, I don't. Do you get? Do you guys have favorite Lance Hendrickson roles? Or yeah, he was in the X Files. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, the, Frank Black. There you go. Millennium. Yeah, was that a, the yeah, series? He had his own show too, right? Millennium. Millennium. Yep. Yeah, which only I think lasted a couple seasons, but it was a pretty good show. Look, every time Lance Hendrickson shows up, he's one of those guys. He's a character actor, but he's one of those guys who he is always good, even if the film is not good. Yes. Uh, he just has a natural way about him. When he plays heavies, he has a lot of fun. He wrote all of his own lines in this. That's uh, right. He did. Like, Clearly, he was uh, huffing on the exhaust a little bit, though. He's a little out there on some of his lines. Better be first in hell than second in heaven. Pretty good. good. Some Walter Hill type lines, you know? Yeah. I'll go kill you with a knife dipped in shit or something. He says. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. We'll talk about his favorite line when we when we do some highlights, because there's one. As soon as he says it, I wrote it down. I'm like, that is one of the best lines of dialogue I've heard in a long time. Did you say he also was in Scream 3, the worst Scream film? (laughs) uh i didn't i didn't say that but i mean he was he's in 263 properties he's got a lot of credits yeah yeah he just he's just a working actor he works a lot and um yeah i mean he's he's a really good actor he's a better actor than i think some of his work uh kind of shows but he's just not afraid to take on a project he he likes to work and he just shows up he's got a great face great voice no i love him and then william forsyth again i another one i get super excited about when i see him and what's funny, uh, he's another one that I think takes chances and people don't give enough credit to that. Mm-hmm. But in 1991 alone, he's in three films. Um, he's in Career app- Opportunities um, as the custodian. <laughs> yeah. If, yeah. <laughs> and then while he's playing the heavy in this film with Lance Henriksen, he's the heavy in Steven Seagal's Out for Justice and plays Richie, which mm-hmm. is uh, just coked out of his mind like uh, – <laughs> gangster trying to hide from steven seagal yeah which is amazing and again william forsyth 151 credits to his name 
from an acting perspective, uh, just just a powerhouse. Um, I, always, I always think it's a gone enough for Justin going, anybody see Richie? Hey, Richie. <laughs> oh, I meant to bring up uh, Lance Hendrickson and William Forsythe also were in a movie, I believe it was 1985 together called Savage Dawn. Which if is. You have not seen Savage Dawn. See Savage Dawn. It is yeah. awesome. Yeah. There's a great Biker Gang movie. No, there's a great Blu-ray release of that too. I can't remember which boutique label did it, but yeah, it's a fantastic purchase too. Yeah, Forsyth's been around for a while. Again, he's in Walter Hill's Extreme Prejudice. He's in Raising Arizona as part of him and John Goodman are really good together. He played Flat Top in Dick Dick Tracy. Tracy. Uh, He's just done so much stuff, and he's always good. I mean, he is even in bad things. He's he's really good. And uh, he doesn't get enough credit, I don't think. Remember, he was in Cloak and Dagger, which we uh, all yeah. did together. So, oh yeah, he's a he's a really good actor. Um, but he has tough guy looks, so he gets he kind of gets pigeonholed, and uh, somewhat that's a shame. But yeah, he you know he continues to work. Like I said, he's still working now, so he works all the time. Well, he's an amazing computer programmer, as we saw in Cloak and Dagger and yes. uh, Dungeon Master. So. <laughs> Uh, a couple other names we got. Arabella Holtzbog is Nancy. It's sort of the love interest for, I don't know, five minutes. Um, <laughs> she didn't really go a lot of places in her career. I you mean, don't say. Yeah, huh. she did stuff like Carnosaur 2 in 1995 um, and then had some roles in in Bad News Bears, the, the 2005 remake and Across the Universe. We get mm, another. Yeah. Ugh, that Across the Universe. <laughs> Holy shit. We, we get another. Actually, when you see his face, you're like, oh, I know that guy. Because, again, he's, he's been in a lot of stuff, especially TV. But Sam McMurray is Lance. 198 acting credits. But what is significant in his resume is one particular credit. Because all three of us have talked about this franchise. But Sam was Herman Munster in 1996's The Munster's Scary Little Christmas. That's right. He was. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. And it's one crazy. Of few, one of the few actors to play Herman Munster. That's right. And he's on, man, see, Brad's it's full circle mm-hmm. with this Munster yep. stuff. Um, listen to the stuff he's doing in 91, 1991 alone, outside of Stone Cold. L.A. Story with Steve Martin. Um, he's on Who's the Boss, True Colors, another TV show, Home Improvement, Blossom, and another TV show called Civil Wars. This guy was all over the place in the early 90s. He still kind of is, man. He pops up all the time. Does a lot of voice work, too. Oh, yeah. He, he did a ton of voice work. Um, we also get Richard Grant as Cunningham, who you might remember from Rocky Five or The Freshman. Um, he was kind of the – was he the Don King kind of stand-in? Okay. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yes. That's what yeah, I – as soon as I saw he, him, I'm like, oh, it's, it's from Rocky Five. It's the Don yeah. King guy. Yeah, he really goes for it in Rocky Five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he really does. I got to give him credit. It's it's not a great performance, but man, he goes for it. <laughs> he, you know what? I think the uh, last action hero, the captain, is basically being like Richard Grant. Yes. To Jack Slater, I think. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Then this one, I'm I'm always, as soon as I saw him, I'm like, oh, it's Paco. But we got Paulo Taka, who plays Bolivian. So he, the only movie I just, as soon as I see his face, I'm like, oh, that's Paco from Bloodsport. Bloodsport. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he was also in a movie we talked about, Brad Predator 2 from 1990. He's also in Blood Out, Blood In, or Blood In, Blood Out. Yes. It's Apache. Yep. We get Robert <laughs> Winley as Mudfish. That's what back in the day when you were like, okay, you're going to play a Mexican guy. And then your next movie, you're an Indian guy. Was like, oh, <laughs> that, that was Hollywood then. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Robert Winley is Mudfish. Now he's vaguely an, ethic or uh, ethnic is what they would call him. Yep. Yeah. 
Robert was in a, another big film in 1991, probably the biggest action film of that year, and that was none other than Terminator 2 Judgment Day. He was the oh, cigar yeah, 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 yeah. biker in the beginning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 He shows up quite a bit in, in just these bit parts. I need your bike, films. your boots, and your clothes. <laughs> yeah. Um, last but not least, Gregory Scott as AWOL. Now, yeah, as soon as I see him, I'm like, oh, that's Luther. That's Max's dad from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, <laughs> he's in that. <laughs> um, are there any other names, Sammy? I mean, you, you're really good about sort of picking out through the cast list some some notable. No, um, not really. I mean, that that's really. I mean, once you start getting down to Gregory Scott Cummings, you're really kind of getting into the. <laughs> you're really kind of getting into the cult actors of cult actors. I mean, you're talking about a guy that was in the RoboCop TV show. Yes. And, he was in Cliffhanger, if you remember. He was one mm-hmm. of the guys at Cliffhanger. Yeah, I, but oh. af- after I watched Always Sunny in Philadelphia um, as Max Dad, that's just all I see. And he was only in like, I know he was he was in this series, but I think a total of six episodes or something. But he's so yeah. memorable. He's so funny. What what for me he will always be remembered for is Hacko Lantern. He played Tommy in Hacko Lantern. Oh so. my God, you're right. <laughs> I haven't thought about that movie in forever. Jeez, I thought I scrubbed that from my brain. <laughs> Whew. So bad, it's good classic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it is. It, it's a, it's a fun group watch. I'll give you that. Yeah. Uh, production and development. So just just real quick, leading up to the film, let's put a chronology here about the boss, right? So he's drafted by the Seattle Seahawks in the 1987 NFL supplement draft in June. So that's 87. Um, his book comes out in 88, and it's 10 weeks on the New York Times. That's uh, the boss confessions of a modern antihero. He's forced to retire in 89, having suffered a a shoulder injury in the 88 season. So he's out of the NFL, and he starts shooting this film in June of 1990. So he's still trying to ride that wave of fame. I thought this was interesting. Michael Douglas was executive producer of the film, but received no credit due to his wishes. He wanted his name taken off. Yeah, yeah, he took his name off of it. He didn't want to be tied to this trash. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and and I we've talked about these uh, a little bit. Um, the original director, Bruce Malmuth. Now, Bruce directed movies like uh, Nighthawks, and since we were talking Steven Seagal, Hard to Kill, mm-hmm. he was fired due to some personal issues. I guess his personal issues were interrupting the filming schedule. So the studio brought on Craig R. Baxley, and as a result in the change of directors, they dropped a bunch of backstory scenes involving Bosworth's character, including stuff about a family. So... Yeah, mother and a like a sister, a character. Yeah, there's a wife, child, and and sister. sister. And so, since they cut all of that stuff, that's a lot of what Bruce shot. Um, They lost four million dollars in production expenses on just those scenes alone. Yeah, out the door. And and it's the right choice because what Baxley's making is a kind of an action western, uh, Walter Hill film. Yes. What Malmuth was making was, I, I guess, art. I feel like a commando or something like that. I feel like, I feel like he was just, just based on how this starts, it almost feels like hard to kill part two because hard to kill has the grocery scene and Mm. this one starts in a grocery store. So we'll get to that grocery scene. Yep. Um, And you talked about this too. The film suffered cuts to gain an R rating in the U S after the MPAA rated the first cut NC 17. They just, they didn't like it at all. So that's all the backstory on the boss in the film. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to share our thoughts on 1991's Stone Cold, so sit tight. The rest of the movie. 
movies, it's the big date. They love their popcorn, look what they ate. This kind of action, the main attraction, oh boy, ain't love grand. He's buying lots of goodies, ice cream, Pepsi, and peanuts too. Living on love's not easy, you need your strength to woo. Now he returns, what's this she yearns? Refreshing Pepsi, a kiss he earns. Romance and pleasure, and for good measure, thirst-quenching Pepsi. For those who think young. The scene, Pacific Coast Highway. Time, early evening. Vicky is a young girl on vacation, hoping to save a buck by renting a motorcycle for cheap transportation. Saving a buck will almost cost her her life. Suddenly, she is surrounded by a gang out for an evening of sport, cornered by the born losers, forced to join them in their sick kicks, their loathsome initiations, their vicious violence. Look out, Vicky. Danny the Creep wants you. First for himself, then for the other cats. Once you're initiated, you're up for grabs. You become the property of the Born Losers. Born Losers, starring Tom Laughlin, Elizabeth James, and Jeremy Slate, with special guest star Jane Russell, is raw, sordid, violent. Don't miss Born Losers, in color from American International. Here we are. Who wants to go? Who wants to start? We're just going to be pouring love on this thing. Um, Sammy, we'll, we'll defer to you. Pouring lava all over this thing. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know how many times you've seen this film. It's got to be in the double digits at this point, right? I've seen it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those ones that I really don't even have to watch anymore, but I still really enjoy uh, watching it. And the reason why is, is very simple. It's a very simple story. It's just a, it's just a tough guy movie. Sometimes. Yeah. These movies um, really just hit home for me. Um, Is you're a tough guy. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> this is true. Dude. The yes. toughest. I'm the toughest. And uh, this one is, you know, it, it it has all the things that I love about the 80s that kind of crossed over into the 90s. And I said this a long time ago when I, when we reviewed this movie on our show. It's kind of like, you know, toward the end of any decade, there's always a few little, if you get lucky, a few little gems that kind of stick around that are kind of influenced by the decade before. Yeah. This is definitely an eighties action movie in the nineties. And Baxley was making those with, when you think about action Jackson, uh, which has got a little bit of black exploitation as well. And then you think about, I come in peace, which is a bit of a Terminator riff, but also has its own kind of sci-fi elements and, and gunplay, maybe some mm-hmm. Hong Kong type stuff going on there. They know what they're doing. They're kind of, you know, riding this genre for all it's worth. And so this stuff kind of gets looked at as trash and stuff, but really pound for pound, I think Stone Cold is one of the great action films to come out of America, uh, especially late cycle action films. It's got all the gun violence you can want. It's got a lot of physical violence. It's got homoeroticism. It's got... 
which is important. Super important. Ice and chains have the most chemistry between two men I've ever seen. Oh, they want to screw. Oh, yeah. they want yes, absolutely. Yes. There's no doubt about it. Uh, ice, and they're always so wet and sweaty when they're around yeah. each other. Oh my god! <laughs> and chains, he wants them both. Like you know, he he, he wants to be sandwiched in between. Yeah, he wants to, he wants a man yeah. sandwich. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna eat this. Whatever he was to call him, a bulldozer. I need a bulldozer or something. <laughs> oh yeah, there's. there's <laughs> Man, it, but, it, it, this is one of those films. You've seen those clips where you change the music in the background and it totally changed. So if you put some sexy saxophone music during some of these scenes, totally different movie. Yeah, more than likely. Yep. But the movie is is really simple. You get a, a hero with a bike. He doesn't name the bike or anything like that. It's not a standout motorcycle. But he can clearly ride his motorcycle, which Bosworth can ride a motorcycle pretty well in real life. He's a bit of a biker. Mm-hmm. So he rides the motorcycle well. But all the action scenes in this, the stunt work, the violence, it establishes the Joe Huff character or the John Stone character, as he is in this, as this real kind of modern, unstoppable force. And some of the best action movies are really just that. They're just some guy who looks great that they spray down with a bunch of baby oil. And they throw him into rings and he just punches people or he just kicks people or slams people or says things with in a whispery way. There, there's just a ton of tropes here. And sometimes tropes are what make a movie. And this movie, there's nothing original here. There, there's nothing original, I think, in Stone Cold. But I think that that's the strength of Stone Cold. It's a derivative and a very strong derivative of the films we, well, Troy and I especially, uh, grew up on in the 80s. These kind of macho, wet, muscly uh, dude movies that now are kind of frowned upon sometimes by some circles and stuff. It's been a little, maybe maybe some could say uh, toxic masculinity, and there's definitely some toxic masculinity going on in this film uh, by definition. But it's also a movie about guys made for guys and it wears it on its sleeve. So proud that there's something almost, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for. There's something almost, it's, it's almost so pure. It's kind of noble. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's so, it's so much knows what it is. And when I think about Baxley's films, those, those three films, all three of those films know what they are. That's why Mm -hmm. they work. Mm Mm-hmm. They yeah. work because they know what they are. I like your comment about, you know, th- this is a guy's movie. I mean, <laughs> through and through. I, yeah. I tried I tried to convince my wife to, I showed her the trailer. She's like, absolutely not. I have no interest. And I'm <laughs> like, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I mean, th- yeah, yeah. this is the one where you want to get the guys together. I don't, I don't think Baxley, I don't think anybody was worried about, were we going to sell tickets to a, a bunch uh, of females? If they did, Maybe it was eye candy for him, but even then, I don't think they cared. I think it was this was your um, your movie that was designed for uh, just the the fifteen year old boy that just yeah. wanted to see stuff blow up. Yeah, it's it's for the the teenage boy, but also for the frat guys. Yeah, for the guys that just want to hang out and after a long hard work week, just want to drink beer and eat pizza. Oh, and we rented the crap out of this in college, too, um, because that was one of those where you would like, hey, throw in Stone Cold. It's a fun group watch. Yeah. And it's because it's not reaching for anything above its stature. It knows exactly what it is. 
It's a very simple story of uh, a cop infiltrating a motorcycle gang. A little bit of uh, maybe some Othello stuff going on there. That's probably giving it way too much credit. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, it, I'm but sure it, they were thinking about Othello when they did this. <laughs> Don Edgar might have been thinking about that. He might have, yeah. But either way, they just kind of, you know, they just kind of throw these characters in there. And I think because the casting is so good and the filmmaking is so good and the stunt work is so good, they ended up accidentally kind of creating this kind of perfect little gem of a B-movie. And... I have never, ever, so many movies I watch and so many movies we all watch, and I know you guys can agree with this, so many films we watch, they have a strong opening, a strong ending. They really have trouble in the middle. Um, I think Stone Cold knows what it is so well from the very opening shots to the last sequence that it's this lone hero thing. I mean, it no, I. There is no reason to have the tracking shot they have at the end of this film than to say, we're going to make this guy a star, and he is a superhero. He is the greatest action star of all time. Now, that didn't pan out, but, I mean, it is a crazy tracking shot at the end of a B movie. <laughs> and this is after you have hel helicopters blowing up, motorcycles flying through the air, people blowing up. Uh, I mean, you name it, there's all kinds of stuff going on in this film and everybody is just wet and sweaty and, you know, it should not work. And yet every single frame of this movie works. And I think that's why it, I honestly, I think it should be, if it isn't, it should be a cult classic. Also, I'm looking at this. Only for the first time did I ever realize that Chains has a last name of Cooper. Cooper, yeah, Chains Cooper, yeah. So do you, do you find a lot of similarities? So there there are very few. I mean, I love eighties and nineties Hong Kong um, action films. That's yeah. oh, that's my sweet spot um, yeah. in terms of movie watching. And I find it very interesting that what Hong Kong was going through in the nineties was a little bit different than what the U.S. was going through. But what's interesting is. The U.S. was was kind of um, importing a lot of talent from Hong Kong, so, so you get John Woo doing the crossovers and stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. And to me, Hollywood, especially early in the '90s, was chasing after the Hong Kong style action, right? And, and there's a lot of examples there. What do you think about this statement? I, I think Stone Cold is one of the few examples where American Hollywood cinema got the recipe right if they were trying to duplicate some of the craziness of 80s Hong Kong cinema, early 90s cinema. It yeah. has that flavor, that um, kinetic energy to it that a lot of American action films don't have, but Stone Cold does. Like, if if you told me Stone Cold was actually shot in, in Hong Kong instead of, you know, Mississippi or Alabama, I'd be like, you know what, I kind of believe it because... It just has that same feel to it, even though it's just in a you know different geography. I think one of the things we can't can't go past on this discussion is the the influence of Hong Kong on American movies comes in the stunt work. We know that, but it's the key thing about the stunt work is it has to look dangerous. Yes, mm -hmm. this movie's stunt work looks dangerous. Yeah, like yes, you you have moments where you watch this and you think. That guy got hurt. That guy got hurt. That guy might be dead. Mm -hmm. 
That guy's definitely dead. Yeah, that helicopter sure is really close to those people. Yeah, yeah. How they yeah. flew that helicopter, which is just feet from the street, and there's just pedestrians and yeah. bystanders. You're like, yeah. why isn't somebody yeah. dead? That yeah. helicopter clips the ground. It flips over, kills everybody. Fifty people. Yeah. Yeah. You could say it's irresponsible filmmaking, but what that that's what Hong Kong did. Hong Kong, not not irresponsible filmmaking, but what Hong Kong did is they made the stunts, even though they were choreographed. And there was there and there always will be an opportunity for somebody to get hurt because mm-hmm. you are doing something crazy no matter what. Even something as simple as getting hit by a car, you can get hurt. And if you just don't do it right. But there's yeah, but a, think about how many wire pulls are in this yeah, film. There's oh, a visceral yeah. that's what I'm saying. There's there's a visceral nature to this violence here. There's there's something other going on here. It's 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 kinda like, you know, when I was a kid and I saw when John Milius did Conan the Barbarian, there was something different about Conan the Barbarian. Why why was everybody so juicy? Everybody was so, I mean, the blood was just going everywhere. Yeah. And then you think to yourself, well, John Milius probably saw a lot of Italian films and they were squirting blood everywhere, you know? Yeah. And he probably thought, well, this would be really cool if we hit people in the neck with a sword. It's like, you know, you know this blood <laughs> squirting out all over the place. These, these little bits and pieces, these filmmakers see these things. And I have no doubt that Craig Baxley, judging from his filmography, or at least those three films we know of that he did back to back to back. It's clear that he understood the influence of other cinema on his cinema and was able to bring that to these films. And I think that's what makes them great. There's tons of gunshots. There's lots of knife work. Uh, Everything is in danger of having sex with everything else. (laughs) I mean, this movie is just, I mean, it's just, it's, it's like a, it's like a walk in STD of an action. (laughs) Yeah. It's gunnery of the film. Yeah. But I mean that in the in the best way possible. I mean, well, no, you're right. It, it has that feel to it. Like you 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 feel like you're going through the grime with that character, and you're like, man, if, I need a shower. If, if genital warts was a film, it would be Stone Cold. Yep. <laughs> no, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, I I, I mean, I, I joke lightly about it, but I I don't I don't, I don't joke. I mean. Troy knows this conversation. We've had this conversation before. One of the great things about Commando is Oh Jesus. <laughs> it I'm not going to bring it up because I'll save it sometime for a conversation, but there's moments in Commando <laughs> where you think to yourself, what am I watching exactly? Yeah. Am I watching what they think I'm watching or am I watching what I think I'm watching? And because of that, there's this special kind of weird tangibility to Commando that makes me think they knew exactly what they were doing yeah. and i feel like Baxley all three all three of those films um you think about those three films those are three of the sweatiest american films that i can think of off the top of my head yes i mean Jackson, jackson carl weathers is <laughs> he is he is glistening in that movie uh i mean he looks like a like a beer commercial that's what he looks like you know, and, you say that, and now that I think about it, there are very few films that when you watch them, you, you know, you feel them, right? You feel, yeah. you feel the environments, you feel the elements. You, yeah. you do that in Stone Cold. You do that in I Come in Peace and Action Jackson. I mean, when Carl That's Weathers what, is tied up and being tortured and he's sweating and they got the, yeah. um, that, oh, what do you call it? The blow torture, whatever on him. You're, you're like, <laughs> dude, I feel the heat. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's what '80s action movies did, and what yeah. Hong Kong cinema did too. They, they, you know, they made the hero dirty. They made the hero sweaty. Uh, um, Bruce Willis and Die Hard, uh, Schwarzenegger films, Stallone films. Think about how sweaty he was in all these movies. 
you, you, it can't be taken lightly because that's very important. It was very important to spaghetti Westerns in the sixties. It was very important to, I don't know what in the seventies, probably just cop films. When yeah. I think about it, there's a lot of sweaty cops in the seventies, but action cinema in the eighties, Hong Kong and America. I think the only difference is America. We were much inter- interested in the beefcake. We mm-hmm. much, we wanted the real life, you know, Superman look. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, Hong Kong, they could get away with the kind of the spry, the kind of life, uh, you know, the Donnie Yens, people like that, who are who are obviously uh, in great shape. But they, we wanted. They had a guy. few. They had Conan Lee, and I mean, he's yeah. Tiger. Yeah, Tiger yeah. on beat is fantastic for yeah. that. But yeah, you're right. I mean, just but, but we wanted. You know, we're Americans, and yeah. and I'm not going to get on a soapbox here and stuff. But we wanted what we'd perceived as these red hot blooded males build a muscle that you know eat raw eggs in the morning and all this is because of these guys stallone and stuff like that we wanted our guys to be those kind of guys we wanted scenes of them prepping food i don't know why we wanted it but that's what we wanted (laughs) yeah and this goes back in this goes into a lot of territory there's a whole thing about this i mean if you watch uh, james belushi in the principal he's eating raw eggs uh to get ready for his day at work i mean these are acts for whatever reason we wanted our action heroes to not only be tough with women and other guys, we wanted them to be tough in the kitchen. We wanted them <laughs> opening beer bottles with their armpits. We, I don't know what we were doing, but it was a weird decade that carried over into the 90s. And Stone Cold, to me, is kind of the culmination of all that stuff. Yeah. It's kind of like, here's all the stuff you guys loved in the 80s, and we're just going to throw all of it in there and see if you enjoy it. And I... I mean, I've watched this thing 50 times. I've seen it probably 50 times. I show it to people who've never seen it. If they come over and I'll say, well, you ever seen Stone Cold? And they'll say, nope. I'm like, oh, we're watching that tonight. That's one. And, and because I've never shown this movie to anybody and them not be like, wow, that was, it's not the greatest movie ever made, but it's one of the best times I've ever had. Yeah. And that's, that's very important. And, uh, you know, I, I think. This movie, it's amazing how well it holds up without cell phones and modern technology and everything else. It's just a basic, it's, it's, it's not a Walter Hill film, but it's as close to a Walter Hill film as he made in a lot of ways. And as close to a modern Western as well. We should say that. Yeah. No, it, it, I think it wears that influence on its sleeve. Definitely. Yeah. And it's a, it's just a macho movie. I mean, it, it, I, I, I take no, I am not embarrassed to admit at all that. I love me some macho cinema and, uh, this one is capital M macho. (laughs) (laughs) It's in the pantheon. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, okay. Brad, what, what are your thoughts, man? I, I, I know you love this film. You picked it and you were super excited to talk about it. So what, what do you have to share? Yeah, I, I think Sammy kind of hit on a lot of the points I was going to make, but like, it's a film that just stays in its lane and it knows exactly what it's going to do. And it does it better than most films you will see that try for this B movie action. Um, I think what stands out for me is just the practicalness of all the stunts and the danger involved in pretty much every other scene of this film and just how ridiculous it is and how they don't waste any time getting through the plot of this movie. Like, we go from there is a robbery in a convenience store um, where a guy just shoots up 
hundreds of rich crackers. It is like one of my favorite things <laughs> I've ever seen in a movie. Just taking an Uzi to crackers. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I, I didn't know I wanted to see that. But when I see it, I love it. And like, of course, you know, we find out that uh, he's on probation already and all this stuff. And so it's playing into all these stereotypes of of this kind of rogue cop in a way. And then he gets you know hooked up with the FBI. The FBI is like the dumbest people in the world because he has to explain to him about like going undercover. Like uh, there's like there's so many things, but like the whole crux of the movie they show the scene of the priest getting killed and it literally goes by in a flash. Like the first time I saw this movie, I remember I was like, they killed a priest in this movie. They do a yeah. lot of damage in the first five minutes takes, of this movie. It takes 15 seconds. It, it cuts <laughs> to a priest holding a baby. A guy walks in with a shotgun, shoots him, wire, pull him through a stained glass window. I'm like, okay, this movie might be the greatest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. And then like, <laughs> It like it like cuts and then we're at a strip club and the camera is in a girl's butthole. Like it like literally is like, oh my god. And then there's a band, a live band playing in a strip club. Are you serious? Like, okay. Amen. We've all been to a strip club, right? <laughs> We've I know we have. Ever seen a live band in a strip club? Uh the DJ, right? Like I've never I've maybe in the I, not maybe early in the eighties or nineties it was different. I don't know, but I don't know, but this, I was trying to place that band. I'm like, is that XYZ or Faster Pussy? I mean, they had that Twister, uh, or Trickster, maybe. Trickster, I, I don't yeah. know. Uh, I don't know who it is, uh, but yeah, I, I think there's a hazard. That, I mean, who knows where your drumsticks will end up? Yeah, but like, <laughs> you'd know those the the dancers are all annoyed because they're taking up spots on the stage yeah. or whatever. But and, yeah. and then like a gentleman gets kicked in the balls in this film and he literally gets lifted off the ground. I, I just love a shot where a dude just gets kicked in the balls and like, then they, then they wire pull him and you're like, wow. So it's effective. I I love, I love these elements that you're pointing out because it just highlights that whole Hong Kong aspect to it that every, every punch, every hit. So in Hong Kong with the action, they put baby powder, you know, on everybody. So you can Mm -hmm. see him hitting each other. Yeah. They're not doing that here because it's still filmed like an American action scene, but they do the equivalent of that by overextending the hits, right? So yeah. you got the wire pulls of going through glass or when somebody does get you know kicked in the groin, they're going up five feet in the air and, and you feel it, right? So they're not doing the, yeah. the baby powder techniques per se, but instead of that, they're using tables and glass, and the, you know everything's breaking yeah. left and right, and it, violence, and it works. The violence is fetishized. It's yeah. it's it's there for your entertainment. It 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 wants you to be turned on by the violence. Well, it's yeah, yeah. and it, it's using all these little tricks to accentuate like this is how hard that guy's hitting, right? So you yeah. feel it, even though from a reality perspective, he you know the way the cameras it okay, he's a foot away from actually making contact, but you're feeling the impact, right? That's what makes Jackie Chan movies so fun to watch is it's not the wire work of let me hang five seconds in the air while I do these four or five kicks. It's I'm going to kick this guy. And then there's four guys behind him that are going to yank him like five feet. So right. You basically break his back. So, yeah. And so, and there's also like conflict in this, in this movie. Um, And say, we're trying to just like the bad guys get drugs in this movie. And they're like, well, how are they going to, you know, get the drugs back. They don't They <laughs> make sure that the drugs blow up by running it into a gas station. And it's like a real live gas station blowing up. It is quite amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And I think that's what I, I, I just like along every way they don't stop and say, I think we need to slow down and, and like explain <laughs> things, or we need to just have this scene where these characters bond. No, they just keep going. And like the damsel in distress girl gets shot in the head. And you're just like, okay. Yeah, like, there's no chance of a love. When you starts to hint at a love interest, it's like, oh, get rid of that character. No, she goes, yeah, but yeah. she is mad that he's a, like, she's kind of disgusted that he's a cop. Right. And, and, uh, yeah. And so I just really like the economical filmmaking of this movie. It's very, like you guys were saying, it's very Walter Hill 2.0. Like it, it, it just knows what it is, but it's also way, better than it has any right to be yeah now okay so we're we're in the deep south uh we we've got a lot of uh confederate flags we've got a lot of allusions to uh hitler and the nazis yeah there's a little bit of that. ss yeah um and all this stuff but look just another, just another day of grandma's down yeah there. this is yeah this is you know another day in mississippi um everybody's saying it's halftime i get it, it. And, 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 hey, hey, give me in there, Mountain Dew. Come on now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and you know, this is in Sammy Nye's backyard, so you know, we can't really we don't have any room to talk. Uh no, I mean, I, I hate to say it, uh, I you know, my dad ran with some guys that were kind of like this a little bit. Yeah. But so, you know, it is what it is. I mean it is what it is. And and I I kind of you know, these guys aren't supposed to be liked, like chains and ice and uh uh a wall and what was it? Tool and other gut there. <laughs> mudfish. Yeah. Mudfish. <laughs> but the girls, the girls do not get names. I'm glad the girls don't. Cause it'd be like beef curtains and <laughs> oh my hole or whatever her name would be. Beef mouth. Mud. Your mouth. <laughs> M- mud cunt. Arby's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the girls, I didn't give them. Cause that would just be the NC 17. <laughs> Right, that's that's where they trimmed everything. Yeah. They just got rid of all the girls' names to your, get that R rating. Your name is Beef Curtain. <laughs> hey, Beef Curtain, get over here. <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, uh, that was a good run. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I... But, okay, there is... My favorite part of this movie is there is a casual grenade throw in this movie by the mob and a guy blows up <laughs> yeah and the next scene they go see him in the hospital they yeah. bring him pizza in like jack daniels yeah and, and his woman him, they bring his yeah. woman yeah and to make him feel nice they lift up the the sheet and like look it could be a lot worse your cock could be broken <laughs> and it's not so yeah. hey i yeah. know your face looks like two-faced right now but you're totally fine i love everything about that scene it's absolutely ridiculous oh. they bring in pizza and whiskey a woman his makeup is borderline terrible and the timing of the uh the news video oh it's perfect you know it's also it's almost it's it's like a it's like a school lesson on b-movie exposition it's yeah because and and again they're getting you so much information in that scene so quickly and they're talking about cracking the whip and the you know the guy's name and this third (laughs) act might be one of my favorite Oh, ends awesome. of a film of all yeah. time. Now, yeah, when awesome. we look back on it in like a January 6th sort of deal, it, it kind of resonates a little too close to that. It's interesting, but, yes. Uh, you know, I, I think maybe some I, people 
who I don't went, know how you can't think about that. Yeah, I don't know if if <laughs> this is some of the insurrectionist favorites, their film favorite film, but well, you know, it's you're it's saying getting that they, there. They were watching this and like, okay, don't make this guy's mistake. <laughs> yeah, but hey, in a film, cunt, give me a Mountain Dew. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but like in a movie where the whole thing is around, like this guy wants to kill this other guy. You would think at the end of the movie, we're going to like protect that guy. So he doesn't get killed. No, he eats, he gets so many bullets inside of him that he is just dead, dead, like way dead. So that, that scene has my favorite line of the entire film. When Lance Hendrickson is about ready to kill him. And he goes, you sound just like my dad when he was delivering his last words. Don't, son, that gun is loaded. And then he shoots it. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, it's 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 a tried and true. I mean, you could call it you could call this film like almost like redneck exploitation. Oh, it's I think oh, I think yeah. more like redneck exploitation is is more fitting. But yeah. I, I have a question for you guys. Over under body count, 36 and a half, over or under that? Over. Over. The real answer is 38. Oh, see, there you go. So, yeah, it feels, I, like, it feels like so many more, though. Oh, it, it feels, does. Like, it feels, it feels like, like, like triple digits, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're riding through the streets at one point, chasing each. Let's not forget about the scene where. Through the tunnel? Or, well, Foresight, yeah. And, and, and Bosworth are chasing each other on motorcycles. Oh, and he's shooting at forget him. About the, yeah, yeah. There's tons of bullets flying everywhere. There's no way numerous innocent people didn't get killed. And let's not also forget about the ridiculousness of the Viking funeral they give. Oh, yes. The guy gets a Viking funeral. He blow. He drives headfirst into a car, <laughs> gets set on fire. And yet the Viking funeral, he looked, I mean, he, he looks pretty okay. good. Just he had a cigar, I think. I mean, he something. ate that windshield like that. Like he was. That was amazing. He should yeah. have been road pate. He really, I mean. Yeah. yeah. And Lance Henderson kisses him. Yeah. It's, like oh he was always like yeah i kind of always hated this guy but he loved me so you know yeah i love I, that, I love also the lance anderson like laughs at almost everything he says or everything yeah. he does like he knows this like whole thing's ridiculous but he's just like hey let's have a good time but i think long story short i love this movie i've seen it not as many times as sammy but it is one of those movies where it's like a really good like if you're gonna watch an action film you start with like stone cold because it's like insane. And then you kind of go, maybe go something a little bit more serious, but this is a good icebreaker to your, your film festival. Um, I would love to get, you know, a real nice proper um, Blu-ray or 4k of this. Um, the one I have is that region free one that most people have, I guess the Blu-ray. Is it the olive uh, films? The olive uh, films. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I think this is under scene. Um, by kind of people outside of our circle. And I think it's probably needs to be corrected. I, I think this is one of my favorites red to exploitation B movies of all time. And I, I think it needs to be on that Mount Rushmore. Um, I would put it up there with almost anything. Like if, if I have an hour and a half, yeah. I'm always like, I'm going to watch stone cold or do I want to watch something else? And it's like, I'll watch stone cold. Cause it is yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's that good. I mean, it's that good. I, I I could sit down with you two right now and watch again. Like, I don't think Jose's seen it. Judging oh my god! Conversation. Oh, like, I want to be in the room when he watches it. <laughs> yeah, I. Hey, he look. has a kimono dragon. Yeah, it's amazing. And there's a scene where he's wearing a banana hammock, 
and a guy comes in at six oh two in the morning, and there's just him and the girl, and it's like, ever seen one of those before? Yeah, I didn't know what he was talking about when he asked that question. Like the banana hammock or the girl? (laughs) He's like, yeah, I have this. Not built like that. Yeah, not built like that. Yeah, Yeah. and that's so you you talk about it. So there's a slight buddy cop element to this film too, which they never like put in front of you, but it has a full circle to it and yeah, it's quite, it it's quite deftly handled and it's, it's very, it's very well done. Yeah. yeah. The payoff's great. I, and the, the payoff of this movie is the third act of this movie is unfreaking believable. I don't yeah. think there's a bad act in this film. I think that's, I think that's one of the things about it. I think it has a great prologue, a great opening, a great middle. And I, I think it closes out with a bang. I mean, I, it, it just really doesn't waste any of its time. I, I agree. I mean, when I saw, when I saw this in the theater, cause we were working the movie theater when I saw this, it was like, what was that? Have to go watch it again. Yeah. Watched it a, a bunch of times when it was showing. Um, and, and what's funny, after after I watched this, I'm like, okay, I want to go to that uh, internet thing and specifically Google <laughs> and yeah. and type in, okay, what are the top action films of the 90s? Like, where does this film sit in that list? Okay. Yeah. So Screen Rant, everybody puts this list together, like top 50 action films. And and you see, you see the original stuff or the usual stuff. So Total Recall, 1990, Point Break, 91, Hard Boiled, 92, Hard Target, 93, True Lies, 94, Speed, 94, Drunken Master 2, 94, Desperados 95, Die Hard with a Vengeance 95, The Rock 96, Face Off 97, Ronin 98, The Tail End of That Decade is The Matrix in 99. Yeah. Not one list I came across mentioned Stone Cold. I know, it's crazy. And I don't get it. I don't understand why it is not part of the conversation um, or these lists because, look, I love Total Recall. Um, out of the entire list, Drunken Master 2's you know, tied as the greatest film of all time, in my opinion. But when I look at stuff like, um, face off or hard target desperado, even those are great fun films with hard hitting action and stone cold matches them. I think beat for beat. And in some cases to Brad's point is a little leaner, um, than a lot of these films on the list and they're fantastic but I don't understand why it's not in the dialogue. Like I can't figure out why it is so underseen. Is it um, too violent? And is it too sort of over the top and dirty? Uh, I, it could be. I mean, when I, when I think about these, this transition of the eighties to the nineties, the action films, and I've always thought this like great action films need great villains. Well, you got two in here. It's fantastic, right? Great action films need great action set pieces. You got like three or four that are just, Man, so there's at least four great action set pieces in this film. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you get a memorable hero. And I don't think he's a great actor, but he has presence. Um, I don't know if his charisma is just jumping off the screen, but it's there. But I got to tell you, the look of this guy with that skunk tail and his jacket and that haircut. Yeah, yeah. You don't forget him. Don't don't forget don't forget about the rectangular blue shades. Yes. So I mean <laughs> he he has the presence of an action star. He has this get up that you're not gonna forget it. Um yet Stone Cold doesn't show up in a lot of these lists and and I, I don't understand it. And outside of Hendrickson and Forsyth, uh, you guys have already touched on this. I mean, Paul Baxley's stunts um are the real stars of the film, in my opinion. Yeah. It is a roller coaster ride. It's it's fantastic. 
the the movie kicks off with that grocery store robbery, which made me ask the question: um, In the eighties and nineties, did these grocery stores carry so much cash that four or five guys with Uzis and shotguns thought, "Man, let's rob that because it's going to be a big hit." Yeah, I think we talked about this a long time ago because we also did Cobra, like I think in our first ten episodes, and uh, yeah, grocery stores and convenience stores were not a safe place in the eighties and nineties. They were not. Like I would never. Hard to kill has one has one of those moments as well. Well, yeah, I mean, every time you'd go into a grocery store, the chances of being robbed <laughs> was probably like seven out of ten, right? It's more um, like nine out of ten. That's true. <laughs> uh, and it was going to be a hyper violent robbery too. Like it wasn't going to be, you know, there was a strong, strong chance that a bag of Cheetos was going to get shot. Well, in Ritz crackers, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and some type of soda or beer. Yeah, and it's it's fantastic. I mean, you said it. It's a trope, right? It's one of those '80s action movie tropes where you got to have yeah. something going on in the grocery store, and it works. And they do it so think, well in here. I don't think people understand. I, I, I always feel like i have to over explain this but i don't think you know the 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 market used to be full of b movies yeah um now b movies are kind of our a movies um but that's just because we throw more money at them make them big and spectacular and stuff but there was a time when you went to the movies uh and this goes all the way back to the beginning of cinema you went to the movies because Tom Mix was a singing cowboy and he was going to beat the bad guy. Roy Rogers was going to do this. John Wayne was going to do that. There was a time when you went to the movies and you knew exactly what you were getting. You just wanted to be entertained. And which, I think that's what this does. This doesn't do anything original. Which makes sense but, when you look at the screenwriter because they're pulling a screenwriter from the 40s who's coming yeah. from that Hollywood system. Yeah. And he's so when you look at it on paper, you're like, well, this doesn't make sense. This guy writes Stone Cold. When you watch Stone Cold, you go, oh, this makes total sense. Yeah. He followed a very specific um, story, a very simplistic story, and was delivering exactly what you said. Here's a um, cop on the edge who's just going to go beat the bad guys. And he yeah. and he just puts a very simplistic script together that works because the concentration is on um, the visual stunts and the roller coaster ride aspect of the cinematography. And it, and it all works. Mm -hmm. I think I think it's awfully funny that today we struggle to find movie stars, yet every actor wants to be a star. It would never do a role like this because it's so beneath them. Mm -hmm. We have no stars, yet everyone wants to be a star. And this is so the film they need can't to do. Be a movie. You can't be in a movie like this or any B movie because it's looked down upon. Yeah, it's well, crazy. I can remember the commentary track for From Dust Till Dawn. I can remember Robert Rodriguez saying, you can make any actor a movie star if you know how to shoot them. And he did that, in my opinion, with Banderas and with Clooney. Yeah. Uh, and he even told George Clooney on the set of From Dust Till Dawn, George, I'm going to make you a movie star. Uh, I know exactly how to shoot you. I know how to shoot your face. I'm going to make you a big star. And maybe made some Hayek a star yeah <laughs> well you <laughs> can shoot my her pants from, yeah he can <laughs> shoot her from pretty much every angle yep but uh but if you think about the shots of Clooney in that film or you think about the way Baxley's shooting him here this goes back to like Sergio Leone and the way he shot actors and stuff like you just fetishize the look and you make them heroic and you can you can make people a star it's just so many actors nowadays, I don't, I don't know what it is. I mean, Tom Cruise does this very well. He knows what his strengths are. Like he doesn't deliver any more dialogue than he has to. 
He knows exactly when to, you know, it's a joke, but he knows exactly when to grind his teeth and when not to grind his teeth. It works. He knows when to run in the movie and when not to run. We can joke about it all we want to, but the guy knows what works. He knows the formula. Well, and he also knows that like action and stunts that look dangerous and feel dangerous and feel yeah. real make much more of an impact than yeah. CGI aliens and bullshit yeah. like that. Well, yeah. I, he knows what it is. Yeah. I, th- I think of movies that Netflix is pumping out like Red Notice. So you've got three box office stars between The Rock and Ryan Reynolds and, and Gal Gadot. But yet, for me, that movie is boring. It just it it just does nothing for me. Well, it's safe. It's it, it takes zero risk. Yeah, it's not even safe. It's it's just it's visual Nyquil. I mean, it's it's just terribly boring. And the stunt works and the excitement, it's just not there. Mm-hmm. But it's not. But the most important thing is, it's not any fun. Even as much as it's trying to push the fun with the humor and the chemistry, it doesn't work. And you can clearly see that. The stunt coordinators between the director and between the movie stars, I think they're all on, they're just not on the same wavelength. Right. Everybody in this film, in Stone Cold, are are just on the same wavelength. They're delivering the same product. They know exactly what they're doing. They're all in tune. And, and they deliver exactly this fun, visceral action film that just mimics everything that Hong Kong was doing in that time period. I agree. And, and, and Baxley's smart enough too to know when to back off because, you know, Forsyth has said in interviews and so has Hendrickson that they wrote a lot of their own dialogue. Him and Forsyth did. Mm-hmm. They just kind of had fun with it. Uh, the Bam Bam joke is a Forsyth's joke, making fun of uh, Bosworth, calling him Bam Bam. Uh, they just kind of went with it. And Baxley was smart enough to say, you know what? These guys got enough charisma and they carry enough weight that we can just let these guys go and just see what happens. Yeah. And it, it it falls on the director sometimes to to know what they have. And I think Baxley just, he knew what he had. It's the same thing with his I Come in Peace film, I think, uh, with uh, the Brian Binbin and uh, Dolph Lundgren relationship. And then also the uh, the uh, the Craig T. Nelson bad guy performance. In, uh, <laughs> Which in, is classic. Uh, <laughs> it's so much fun. Yeah. But y- you just got to know um, when you have something and you got to be able to back off. Yeah. And lean well, into also, it. like. Yeah. Everyone is is going for it in this film. Mm-hmm. There's not a sense of irony really in any performance. Like Bosworth is this guy and he's performing well. And there's no like winking at the camera or any sort of you know, any sort of that going on here. It's played really straightforward. And I think it's a better movie for that. Yeah. And it exists in its own universe. Like it never breaks its own rules. No, no. I mean, I'm kind of disappointed it didn't make money because I think seeing Stone Cold 2, oh man, oh. you know, <laughs> dude, that'd been awesome. Whatever would just be fantastic. Like, yeah, in an alternate world, there's seven of these movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, at least a trilogy. And now we're getting a legacy, you know, then we would get a legacy trilogy or legacy yeah. sequel where, you know, no, I yeah. agree Little with Boz. you. I mean, this, this is. This is the, uh, I mean, where Donnie Yen had his, you know, got Tiger Cage one, two, and three. You, you really wanted Stone Cold one, two, and three, something mm-hmm. of that nature, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a shame that it didn't, you know, get the audience it needed, and that it really still, in some ways, outside of like like you said, a few circles, it still struggles to find an audience. Yeah, I don't get that, um, and it's not super available either, and I don't understand that either. I don't know. I guess they they kind of treat it again like uh, like trash, um, but sometimes you know, trash cinema. There's, uh, 
it's amazing some of the stuff we've gotten on blu-ray and 4k over the last five years oh that, i i have faith that a vinegar syndrome is gonna go ahead and get the rights to this do that 4k deluxe treatment that'd be nice um that's what i'm praying for so one thing um i thought was funny is two weeks in a row we've had um films where they end with our main hero strutting (laughs) totally not planned (laughs) but it works yeah it does although i do think in brian bosworth case there's a little bit of uh exhaustion mixed in with his strutting Ah, i don't know he's he's i i think he's i would definitely say that travolta is giddy yeah as opposed to (laughs) you put them next to each other but there is there is a certain kind of strut yes yes well let's talk that's that's a great tracking shot that tracking shot should not be overlooked that's a great shot man. it is well i mean it, it really it's an example of what's on display here so I laugh about the strut, but there's also that sequence where, um, spoiler, there's nothing you can spoil about this film, but there's a sequence when the uh, girl dies, right? Lance Hendrickson just puts a bullet in her head. <laughs> there is an element where where Bosworth reacts to that, and you're like, oh my God, there, there's a hint of acting going on right there, and it works. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's all these choices within the script that aren't surprises, but when they execute them, you feel surprised. As many times as I see that, when he turns around and just shoots her, I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Because yeah. you're so in the moment of just um, what's next? What's the next action piece? And then when they hit these beats and the villains are being villainous, um, it still surprises you after the 50th showing, right? Well, the yeah. film doesn't even linger on that. Like, she gets no. shot in the head and they move on. They're, yeah. Up to the point where I was like, she comes back at the end, right? Like he goes to the hospital and she <laughs> nope, just got a little dead. scar on her head or something. Like, nope, she did. Um, keep moving. Yeah. The other thing we got to talk about is this concoction that uh, he makes in his kitchen. Oh God. Um, yeah, orange juice, two snick, two snicker bars, uh, potato chips of the ruffled variety, <laughs> one banana, two yeah. eggs with shells so he cracks the first sauce. and then puts the shell in there. It's very important to crack the egg, yeah. then put the whole thing in there, uh, <laughs> then blends it up. And I thought he was going to drink this. Yeah. Um, but he gives it to the lizard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They give you a misdirection there. And then he gives you get the great moment of him holding the lizard up face to face. Being all snuggly with it. Saying well, the great line, if you don't eat your grub, how can you be not, you know, you want to be a stud, you got to eat your grub. Why hasn't anybody who loves this film tried to remake this concoction and and drink it and try it out? Would you guys do that? No. Well, I mean, no, but I mean, <laughs> if we're all together and we have those ingredients, maybe I'd try it. I, I feel like this is the next time we get together. Wait a minute now. So what's the, what's the worst thing in that though? Really? The egg Nothing. Shell? I get the Tabasco. Yeah, well, eggs are not my favorite. Yeah. But I think if you mix it with that, you're not really going to taste the egg. I mean, edibles have done some weird things to me before, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe oh, you I can think, get me yeah. to do it. Oh, I think we could get you to do it. I don't know. <laughs> this feels like one of those challenges <laughs> where if we were to put something out and go, hey, look, if we got like an extra five reviews on iTunes, then we would shoot a video of us trying this concoction oh, out. Troy. <laughs> I have a weak stomach, buddy. I, I really do. I know. What was, it? what was the ingredients again? Snicker bar, it's banana. Full- that Now that works. No, it's yeah. an orange juice, orange, two Snicker so bars, orange, ruffled potato juice, chips. The orange juice right away throws me into a whole other level of one banana, two eggs with shells. To buy. I, you know what? I will try this. If we, if we get a, 
just a surge of um, reviews on iTunes, five star reviews. I will I'll post a video of making this and drinking it. Um. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There yeah. we go. I'd I'd be curious. I mean, I would think the sweet and the sour would mix okay, but that orange juice thing really kind of. I love orange juice, but it doesn't love me. Any reflux problems, you know. So yeah, I just I like your comment about the man. You know, you got to be a man in the kitchen. This is one of the manliest concoctions. I just I just didn't know it was going to go. Well, it's not for a man. I know, but for a but the lizards a- wouldn't eat this. I, wouldn't wouldn't those Komodo dragons? They would want more yeah. meat like stuff, not a Snickers bar. Wouldn't that be unhealthy for it? Not yeah, I, I have a I have a bearded dragon and you're not supposed to give them like citrus stuff or anything like that. So. Oh, OK. So I, I'd, I'd be curious. But I, the, I often think, again, of the principle with James Belushi. I think he puts a Nestle quick in a beer. And he drinks that and you think you could yourself, probably oh, make gross, but chocolate beer is a thing nowadays. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if you could just make a YouTube channel of these movie recipes of somebody just trying them out to see what they really taste like. Uh, I think that's our next calling, Brad. <laughs> okay like again i have a weak stomach so i will just be the guy throwing up everywhere okay. so i've done i've done the raw egg thing you know rocky and all that stuff i've done that thing when i was younger growing up i've yeah. done that it's uh it's gross it is very gross i've done it too didn't enjoy yeah. it it's um, just it's basically like swallowing cold snot yeah i'd much rather have a hard-boiled egg than <laughs> 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 um well what else about stone cold that you want to gush on I I don't know. I upgraded my DVD to Blu-ray uh, after we talked about it this time because I was like, I can't believe I don't own a high-definition copy of this. So do you do this? So I've had the DVD for a long time, and when the Blu-ray came out, I couldn't part with my DVD. So I went out to buy a new Are Blu-ray just- case that has two of them so I could put – I can make my own DVD Blu-ray combo – yeah. Oh yeah, I've been like doing that. that a lot lately. Well, Speaking the, of economical, there's Troy. Yeah, you? With, the, with those slips, you can do that. With those slips, you I know you, you slip them into the new case, and so I don't have to give up my DVD. Now, am I going to watch that DVD again? I've got the Blu-ray. No, but I can't part yeah. with the DVD. So that's yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah Some I got DVDs issues. I've parted with over the years. I don't think I'll part with Stone Cold though. No, absolutely not. Uh, okay, well, I'm going to ask you the question first, Sammy. We just got um, done talking about Stone Cold. I don't think it's going to be a surprise, your answer, but uh, is it a bomb? F to the no, it is not a bomb. No way, man. This thing is not even close to a bomb. This is one of the most underappreciated films of the 90s, period. Oof. Agree. Amen, brother. All right, Brad, what about you? Is Stone Cold a bomb? Not a bomb. It's a gem, Troy. It's a gem. A hidden gem. Oh, I'm going to say Stone Cold is D-bomb. Is that how the kids say it today? <laughs> yep. Yeah, about 15 um, years ago. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there, uh, you're right. right that one kid over in the corner doing D-butt. D-butt? Okay. Uh, says this is D-bomb. <laughs> this is an amazing film. I just, it it just, oh man, it really aggravates me to do those, what are the best action movies of the 90s and this thing doesn't show up on there. What is wrong with you, internet? Get your shit together. I I'm I'm perplexed by this every time. Every time that uh, people watch this, I again I've never had anybody watch it and tell me that they thought it was garbage. I have had people tell me that they they thought it was good. They didn't think it was great, but they've never said it's bad. Oh, hey, if we did a not a bomb film festival, this would definitely be one of the picks in that. Thing. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, this would be an amazing group watch. Um, we got some feedback, Brad. You want, me, you want me to read it? Yes, please. I don't know how to read, so you have to. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> you got to read if you want to be a stud. That's right. 
This is from Michael. After listening to your coverage of Staying Alive, I decided to revisit it and Saturday Night Fever. Of course, Saturday Night Fever is the better film. A downbeat slice of 70s cinema played out against the backdrop of disco. When it comes to Staying Alive, Stallone goes for melodrama, which wouldn't be out of the place in Dallas or Dynasty, with lots (laughs) of bitchy characters and catty dialogue. The songs by the Bee Gees and Frank Stallone feel out of place throughout the film, and Travolta wanders around looking for a greater purpose to his life, but often staring in envy at his rivals. I must admit the film struggled to hold my attention for the most part, until the finale in which Stallone drenches Travolta in baby oil and turns him into some kind of homoerotic god. It's an utterly bonkers final act in which Travolta unleashes his pent-up frustrations into an orgasm of dance and fury. Staying alive is a bomb, but certainly not an unwatchable one. It needed to be more bonkers. Keep up the good work, Michael. Uh, Sammy, you were yeah. supposed to be on. What, what's your thoughts on staying alive? I know I probably like staying alive more than all three of you did. Um, oh, do you own I, the uh, soundtrack on vinyl, sir? I, I do not. Oh, so well, I, maybe okay. I don't like it as much as you, but <laughs> I will say this. Uh, I understand not liking it. I do. Um, it's not a great movie, but I think I enjoy John Travolta in that film, even though he is a, <laughs> a prick of the highest order. I enjoy some of the moments with him. I, I love his jealousy, especially the moments between him and Frank Stallone. Uh, I, you guys quoted the, uh, yeah, you want disability? <laughs> um, just some of the stupidity of all that stuff is is so, it, it's not even Travolta. It's, so, it's such a Stallone joke. Yeah. And uh, it's, I don't know. It's, I, I think Will has called it a movie fueled by cocaine. That might be the case. Um, I'm not sure much cocaine those guys might have been doing at that time um they would argue that they probably never did it but i would argue that somebody was doing cocaine um frank stallone was frank stallone yeah. <laughs> now I, I unlike brad I, I do enjoy the musical stylings of frank stallone sometimes now he's not the kind of musician that i sit around and go man be careful i have a weak stomach <laughs> yeah he's not the kind of musician i sit around and go man you got to check out this latest frank stallone track oh he's not that guy he's amazing come on but but the music here and again, there's nepotism going on, right? I mean, you yeah. know, he's always tried to help his brother out. Um, his brother kind of turned him on to boxing, uh, of all things. So, you know, without Frank Stallone, there'd be no Sylvester Stallone in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, no, um, that's that's true. Yeah. I do think it's a. I do think it's. If I would have been on the show, I would have told you it was a bomb. But man, I I enjoy that bomb. Yeah, I, I mean, I voted it to be not a bomb. Because it's it's just one of those that I've, I unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, I've just grown to really appreciate it and yeah. have a lot of fun with it. So yeah. you can't, um, you know, people have it's said a good, this bad movie. It, it is, and and you know, a lot of people have said this before. Like the the worst thing a movie could be is boring, right? That movie to me is not boring. Um, and it, I, it I like some, it has some boring chunks. It it does, but overall, I, I'm. It's it's a big '80s music video uh, yeah, that just has Frank yeah. Stallone and the Bee Gees all over it, and I like that. Yeah, I had some notes uh, actually to bring that up on the show when I was going to come on about you know you got to remember music videos at that time, uh, stuff like Tom Petty and Pat yeah. Benatar and stuff. They were making these videos with these kind of weird costumes and face paint and post-apocalyptic and satanic. I guess I don't know what what was going on. So I guess Stallone just kind of jumped on that, but. Yeah, no, it's it's fun watch, and I, I I like Michael's take on it. I mean, I I would say most people who have seen 
uh, Saturday Night Fever, Staying Alive, when they come to Staying Alive, they have this reaction where they go, yeah, I don't know what I think about it. Oh, you get to that ending and it's so bonkers. It, it, it might save it, you know, for you, but I also agree with Michael. It might've needed to be more bonkers in some aspects. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I think it's at its best when it's bonkers. I think Satan's yeah. alley. Oh yeah. Is when it's at its best The dance fighting like, I, with the S and M. Yeah. I would hate, <laughs> I joked with you guys on text. I would, I would pay to go see that. I probably would, but I would hate every minute of that. I would hate that show, but I would hate, love it. <laughs> I'd be like, what did I just do? Yeah. And spend like a hundred, whatever. I don't, what's a Broadway ticket cost? Like $500. I don't know. I don't know back then. I guess 150 to $200 probably back then, but yeah, that oof, for Satan's yeah. alley. Okay. Uh, we got another piece from Philip. This is interesting. So I just picked up the DVD combo of exorcist dominion in the beginning at the pawn shop last week for a dollar. It had been years since I've seen them, probably since they were in the new release section of Blockbuster Video. They somehow merged together in my memory, but it was great to see them on consecutive nights. I agree with your assessments on most of it. So we this was part of our October, Spooktober season um, when we were looking at sequels, and, and we talked about both these films. Uh, Philip goes on to say, but it was uh, great to see them on consecutive nights. I agree with your assessments on most of it. I think Paul Schrader's film has a lot to think about as far as themes. It's an interesting piece of cinema, though it does have its problems like the CGI, and I agree with you on Gabriel Mann's character overacting. I don't think Harlan's version is a complete failure. It has its moments too, most notably in the middle half. That anyone at the studio in the early 2000s thought an Exorcist prequel set in late 1940s Africa with a largely unknown European cast would be a box office hit is amazing. (laughs) Did they not read the script? Did they pick the director out of a hat? They surely knew what they were getting into. Anyway, I really enjoyed the discussion between Troy, Brad, and Jose. Look forward to future episodes. Awesome. Thanks, Philip. I, cool. I, Thank I, you. I love the fact that people go back to the older episodes. Um, and, hey, if you're not going to the pawn shops, if you're not going to, like, the used DVD, you're missing on some deals, man. Yeah. Um, I, buy, I buy a lot of that stuff. I was looking at some used stuff the other day. Yeah, a dollar for both of them? That's a steal. The uh, I wasn't on that episode, but man, I I can remember when the trades were announced that Paul Schrader was working on an Exorcist prequel. I was like, that that's like perfect. Yeah, like that. I I saw that movie in my head before that movie came out. Unfortunately, it's one of the few times Paul Schrader doesn't really work for me. <laughs> uh, it it has more aspects of it work for me than yeah than it does. I mean, it, I can watch it. Yeah, but it's ugh, it's not it's not some of Schrader's best work. Yeah, no, I I wouldn't put it top tier Schrader, but I I still enjoyed it. Uh, Brad, next yes, week, sir. my pick. We're we're just we're we're pulling some movies that a lot of people have requested. I think next week has come through several times. Yes, it has, and I'm super excited to talk about it because I own all the action figures. Did you know there were action figures for this? One? Oh my god, Troy! Yeah, uh, okay, they're, I, I am they're now pristine, unopened action figures you know sometimes you say sentences and i'm like troy i cannot believe that you have seen a woman naked like it, is, <laughs> it blows my mind brad what are we talking about next week talking about 1999's superhero comedy film yes mystery men mystery men oh yeah wow. God, wow. what's that director's name kink kink uh usher or whatever it is yeah i'm, I'm like worried that. about uh the name pronunciations uh next already week. i'm gonna butcher all of them but 
Yeah, we, we may have to put on the, the social medias, uh, all the action figures and comics and movie posters. I have all of it. I actually have a big theatrical banner. You remember how they used to, I, I think they still do. Oh, yeah. Those yeah, like yeah, they do sometimes. 12 foot or whatever that just goes on, you know, the, in the lobby. I, I think I have the Mystery Men one too. I love this film. Yeah, this is one uh, I did not like Mystery Men. Oh, man. It's that communist side coming out, man. No, I don't think it's that. <laughs> I don't remember what it was. There was something about it that I can't remember. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll, if I find some time, maybe I'll throw it on again. Well, Kino Lorber, who uh, is is getting ready to release a Staying the Live 4K, yeah. just a few weeks ago released a Mystery Men 4K. Yes. So for the longest time, the only way to kind of get the special edition with all the nice features, you had to get, I think, the UK uh, mm -hmm. Blu-ray. But now you can get all of that stuff on uh, Kino's edition. So I've I've been sitting on that. I got it day one. I've been sitting on that knowing we were going to talk about Mystery Men. I'm so excited. Kino Lorber, the low-key label that gets all of our money. Uh, I'm telling you what. It's, yeah. If we were to do a vote, I think Kino's coming up very close to like top three now um, with all their stuff that they've yeah. been releasing. It's crazy, the stuff they put out. I agree. So, Sammy, you guys just dropped an episode today, um, Eve of Destruction. Oh, yeah. Gregory Hines. Yeah, that, that movie's cool. fantastic. That's a great Blu-ray release, too. Yeah, that uh, that was one that uh, I think I think I said on the show that I thought I saw back in the day, but I think it, I don't remember a lot of it. So I think that, honestly, that was a first-time watch for me. Oh, man. But uh, I enjoyed it. It's just a basic, basically a female Terminator ripoff. It is. It's a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, it's 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 quite good. So yeah, check us out. Where you guys know where to find us with the you know GGTMC. We're around. We've awesome. been around for a long time. A very long time. You're, what episode are you on? Like seven thousand and two hundred. Uh, we will be recording episode six hundred and seventeen official episode. Uh, there's probably close to eight hundred episodes of our show out there. Though. Jeez, you guys are the masters at it. I'll tell you what. Uh, Brad, who else should they be listening to? Uh, yeah, that would be watch skip plus, um, the mixtape podcast, not a living, like, like not a living podcast podcast. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, the back look cinema podcast. Uh, who else? The GGTMC, obviously. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So check out all of our friends. Oh, the, the VHS files, which, we are still coming up. Josh is editing our episode that we were on. Um, a video he does episode. a YouTube yeah. and audio, yeah. so it takes him a, a while. Yeah, um, video podcasting is a whole Yeah, you were talking thing. about your son doing video yeah, him, stuff. and, him and is, uh, Yeah, him and Justin, the Cinemasticus, they did an episode on uh, um, San Andreas and the Scorpion King, and he's still working on it. It's it, that's, that's a whole other ball of wax, man. I'm not, I, I can't do that. Yeah, that's uh, hmm. I'm yeah, not for me. The people who do it, I'm impressed. But yeah, it's a it's a skill set I want to learn, but I don't know if I have the time. Um, yeah, but hey, I will do that video of that lizard diet if we get enough reviews. Oh. Um, but Brad, how do they get a hold of us to recommend? I'm serious about this. We should just go through this whole dietary <laughs> thing in movies and see if we can recreate it. But anyways, how do they get a hold of us to recommend some bombs? Well, yeah, that's not a. Welcome to not a bomb shits. That's not a bomb pod at gmail.com. You can also head over to our website. That is not a bomb podcast.com. Hit the contact us button there. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, and yeah, so the episodes we're doing for the next little bit are just pulling from the hat, essentially that people have recommended. Um, 
So if you have recommendations, let us know. Uh, we will we will get around to doing those. Yeah, uh, and we are doing some bonus episodes with the uh, <laughs> trying to pick movies that we haven't seen that we think are going to be absolutely terrible. So if you have some recommendations on some of the worst cinema out there, send them our way. We're looking for that. Can we can we say the name? Can we say the name now? That yeah, we, go ahead. That we had, came, officially yeah. came up with the name. Yeah, it's called not a it's called not a bomb breaking Brad. <laughs> all these films are going to break me. So I like, uh, I like that. I like that. Uh, yeah. In our first, do we want to say what we're doing first? So yeah. Your listeners should know, uh, Brad. One one of the great things I was I was up in Whorehound with Brad, and Brad's like, I have very little patience for certain <laughs> kind of movies. Oh, he has zero patience for. <laughs> and I was like, okay, okay, man, I get it. I mean, I you know, I, I totally respect it because you know, I understand. I really do. I walked out right in front of the director. <laughs> He did. We were in a screening. We were front row. The director's there. Uh, ten minutes into it, Brad's like, "Fuck this, I'm out." Yeah. <laughs> and you, yeah. all of you, were jealous of my decision to leave. Uh, for the first twenty minutes, I wasn't. For the next <laughs> hour, the next hour plus, no, it was quite a bit, Troy. That that thing was a, that was a long cut. <laughs> that was a very long cut. Yeah, I should have. The chairs were terrible. I was like, I just yeah. want to go lay down with Brad. I did. But yes, we, <laughs> we're we going to suffer through some movies. Brad, you want to announce the first one that uh, yeah. I, I picked for you? Yeah, we're we're doing Ginger Dead Man starring <laughs> Gary Busey. Right? Yeah. Is it Gary Busey? It's Gary Busey. It's like Gary Busey yeah. is the Ginger Dead Man. Yes. Yeah, it's a child's play ripoff with uh, Ginger Dead Oh, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be amazing. No, I'm uh, playing the ginger dead man. Sorry. That's a terrible Gary. <laughs> <music. laughs> um, anyway. Uh, yeah. That'll be fun. Yeah. We got some other films on the way. Um, February. I don't know why I picked the one I did in February, but we're going to do it. So yeah. And after last week's episode with all those recommendations from Jose, we've got a pretty good list going. Yeah. And Troy, like I told you last week, we can only do 12. I am not doing any more than 12. Yeah. We'll yeah. see. We'll see. Um, well, I, I predict he'll be broken before month two. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say April. April's when he just quits. <laughs> uh, like my real job, I start suffering at my real job. They're like, Brad, you seem really depressed. I'm like, I've seen four of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. Well, hey, man, happy belated birthday um, yeah. again. Yeah, thank you. I I know you um, just had a blowout weekend. Uh, yeah, I was supposed to be there. I had to actually You'd be a father. Her. What do you what do you do? Yeah, you I had to take your wife invited me and I yeah. texted her. I had to text her and tell her I'm so sorry that I can't make it because we were gonna go, but the you know, this is what it is. No, I got to text you. I was trying to swing it with work and couldn't do it. John was gonna fly out there too and um just couldn't make it happen. But uh you something's actually gonna show up for you tomorrow. Um so text <laughs> is, is it a gun rack? Text us as soon as you get it. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's going to be fun, but, uh, man, I, I gotta tell you, uh, you are an amazing person. I love doing this show with you. I love just having the opportunity. Um, even before we did the podcast, I mean, you and I talked every day and my day right now is composed of work. Um, I don't know, exchanging about 120 texts between us <laughs> and then, uh, recording a podcast once a week. Uh, I love it, man. Um, you're an amazing person, amazing father, an amazing friend. And I'm just, I'm happy a bunch of people got together for you last weekend and celebrated you. Cause can't think of anybody who deserves it more. Yeah. Thanks man. I appreciate it. Love you guys. Yeah. Bye uh, Brad. I, I can't follow that. There's no way. I'll just say that I'm very happy you're in my life. <laughs> Thank you. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. 
I guess that's it, right, Brian? That is it. Go watch Stone Cold. Go watch yeah. Stone Cold. And, I might uh, watch it again. <laughs> I agree with you. And- Honestly, I've kind of thought about it. Because the national championship game is like not even close anymore. And I'm like, yeah, I could get Stone Cold back in. I've got to make my son sit down and watch it because he's going to love it. Um, Yeah, he is. Yeah. uh, Hey, look, watch Stone Cold. uh, Come around and listen to our thoughts on Mystery Men next week. Go watch that. So I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon or evening. Thanks for playing along. And check us out next week. We're going to do another superhero film. I'm super excited. Watch the social medias. I'll post all the stuff that I have on Mystery Men. And you can uh, check out the awesome Mint collection. And yes, Brad, I I, I am married and I've, I've, you know, I've had relations. Yeah. We, we get it. We get it. <laughs> At least twice. At least twice. At least twice. Damn it. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> all right. Have a good week, folks. Don't lose your head. Bye.